1: Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, 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 and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 8.55am. And thanks to Sally, who's still here with me. Thanks to Sally. I can just tell Sally. Uh, Thanks for another great show of Out of the Pan. And, and yeah, I think we'll talk about, I guess, when it comes to social justice, there's so many different important parts of that puzzle. And I guess here at Freedom of Species, we think we have an important part of the puzzles, bringing in the issue of animals and uh, gender and um, sexuality and gender identity are also really important parts of the puzzle as well. So, yeah, check out Out of the Pan. uh, Find it 3 C R org.au and check out Out of the Pan and all the shows on 3CR. So today I am joined by Megan Street, who is actually also a 3CR host uh, with Greenleaf Radio. Thanks for coming in, Megan.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. I almost said good morning because I usually say that on our show. Yeah, yep, it's great yep. to be
1: here. At a more civilized hour. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm Nick Pendergast hosting today. And, yeah, we're talking about the climate strike. So, I mean, usually we wouldn't cover the same topic two weeks in a row. That's quite rare for our show. But I do feel like we're at a tipping point, I guess, in maybe two mm-hmm. different ways, in a negative sense in terms of climate change, but maybe a bit of a tipping point in terms of action on climate change. And, and yeah, I do feel there's a real, real momentum behind this movement like a mass movement, worldwide movement, taking action for climate change. So we're going to talk a bit about the Melbourne Climate March, which we are both at uh, and which we did cover in our last show as well. And last show, we actually had, um, yeah, Adam, um, another host of Freedom of Species, had a bunch of interviews with people who were at the rally who were, you know, had signs that were, or shirts or were some way sort of expressing some kind of pro-animal kind of message. So, yeah, Adam played a bunch of interviews from people um, at the rally um, and also with a guest. Uh, Christian as well spoke spoke about that a bit and I guess what I wanted to do as a follow-up on this show is is have Megan on who is in I guess more like left-wing and environmental kind of activist spaces and is also a vegan but social justice uh, yeah.
2: progressive human rights workers rights
1: yeah yep, exactly and and I guess to get a perspective on on the animal advocates from people in these kind of spaces and maybe how we can better connect with environmental and left movements generally um, and I did want to mention yeah worldwide climate strike and some some facts I, I think I've seen bigger numbers so maybe this was when not all the marches have been done but anyway this is from uh school strike for climate they said it was the world's largest climate mobilization just over a week ago over 4 million people 5,800 actions 161 countries um, 820 civil society organizations etc so a huge yeah, huge action um in the melbourne march there was crowd estimates of 100,000 to 150,000 or, or organizer estimates of around that um that uh, figure and actually at the end of the rally when I got to the end um, one of the people one of the organizers said you've just participated in the biggest rally in Australian history I don't know if that is quite is that
2: I don't think that's true that's I think true? the yeah. Iraq war was about uh, quarter, half a million people actually okay. yeah. So, yeah. but it is it actually it's the biggest rally in quite a long time
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah biggest yeah.
2: rally that the young people of this generation have participated in anyway
1: yeah definitely yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't quite quite sure of that but I did think it would have to be up there it would have yeah. been great yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also saw a tweet from Scott Ludlam, a former Green senator, and and he mentioned I, I didn't kind of see this. I was kind of more towards the front, but he said the front of the Melbourne school for uh, school strike for climate march did its entire lap and return before the back of the march had even left the park. So I
2: saw that. Okay, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It took it over an hour for all of the people to cycle past where I was. It was just absolutely amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and yeah, I, I guess that's maybe where we'll start things off. So, do you want to talk a bit about um, yeah some of your experiences from being at the rally? Any speeches that stood out to you? Any, anything like that? from the Melbourne uh, strike for climate.
2: Yeah, um, so I was actually on a stall um, there and I was there for pretty much the whole day. I didn't actually participate in the march, but um, a lot of my colleagues did. Um, one thing that stood out to me, and, and this also stood out to me in the last um, march that I participated in, the, the last school strike for climate march, was the enthusiasm and the passion of the young people? These are the climate activists. These are the activists of today. This is the new generation that's um, taking the reins. I mean, this, this, these both of these strikes. So the smaller strike that was um, previous in, I think it was March, and this one which was huge have all been organised by high school students. It is a high school st- student driven movement, which is absolutely amazing. And what I found was I engaged in so many conversations with people, um, so many young people, and every time I, I engaged with them, I actually thanked them for coming along and thanked them for being part of it. And they were so enthusiastic about um, being a part of it, and, and but so also so worried about their future that they they were drawn to action. One of the interesting things just to bring um, it into the the whole freedom of species thing, one of the most fascinating things that I saw, so I was on a um, a stall that had nothing to do with animal rights, with veganism, et cetera. I didn't have any T-shirts or anything that indicated that I was vegan or an animal advocate. Um, But on three separate occasions, I had some of these young people, when I engaged them in conversation, bring up the term veganism Mm. and indicate that they were actually vegans. And that was amazing to me to have this completely unrelated topic that I was also very passionate about brought up by some of these young people. And what I reckon about the strike is that this is probably the first generation that really truly grasps that we do have to have so many parts of um, of the actions that we do. We have to do so many things and one of those things is actually uh, switch to a plant-based diet for the environment. And a lot of these people, I didn't really ask them the reasons why, but I think a lot of it was to do with the environment. But they said that they were vegans, so obviously there were ethical things uh, around that. But it was absolutely amazing to to sit there and listen to these people talk. I didn't get to hear much of the speeches of this one, but I did some um, recordings for our show, um, Greenleaf Radio, for the last one that was about 3,000 people, and one of the things that stood out to me was the young people who spoke up on that stage were so confident. They were so eloquent. What they had to say was so um, so poignant and so important and their facts were right. They were, they were talking about issues that are going to affect their generation. One of them, I think it was Harriet in the last um, strike, said, you know, I face the very real possibility that people that I love will die, and myself possibly, from climate change. Mm. This is what they face and this is what they're trying to fight against. And that was what I came out – that's what I had. Like this is what um, really stood out for me is that – this is what they're facing, and this is how they fight back. It's mm. absolutely, it's so inspiring. I'm, I want to hug each and every one of those um, those rallies. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very, yeah, very hopeful, and, and people of all different kinds of ages, very young kids, and yeah, kids of all different ages, and yeah, people of all all ages there as well. Um, and I did want to also mention, I guess, yeah, you know, we're an animal advocacy radio show, but all, all of the hosts here, I think, we're really concerned about the environment as an important issue in itself, mm. and also it definitely an impact that an issue that impacts non-human animals as well as human animals oh, as well. So it's a yeah, very yeah. important issue uh, for animals. And I did want to also mention, yeah, I think there is a perception in vegan spaces that, you know, all these people are out here talking about the environment and that kind of thing. But... There's, I guess, maybe two critiques that they don't necessarily acknowledge the role of animal agriculture, and also there might be a lack of concern for animals. It's more about like you know just just humans and future generations of humans, etc. And and while that may be true for some people, there, as you said, there were plenty of vegans there. And also beyond, I think often in the vegan movement, there's this idea if someone from the stage isn't sort of yelling go vegan, they've got nothing to say that is relevant to animals. But one of the speakers that kind of stuck with me, I, I didn't catch the name because this is actually a good problem to have. I I never. Saw saw the stage. Uh, there was that many people there. I, I was trying to like... Ask, was, yeah, the
2: <laughs> same. We just couldn't get through.
1: I know. Yeah. I was I was kind of following the noise and I kind of went around. Yeah. I, I just never, I never knew, never even you saw... You move in
2: some parts. No, I,
1: I couldn't. I never found out where the speeches were even coming from. But I. yeah, I did hear it. They had a good audio system. But one of the speakers, again, I didn't catch the name, but um, he was an, an Indigenous person. They had lots of Indigenous speakers there. Uh, and one point he made, which kind of stuck with me, which I think does have a lot of sort of parallels or affinity um, with animal advocacy is said we are not more important than the land; we are part of the land. And I thought that was mm. a really sort of a deep sort of environmental critique, which um, moves beyond. And as you mentioned, in terms of this idea of like kids and, and you know, people say like older people, like my children, my grandchildren, that kind of thing. Not to say that's not a legitimate perspective or a legitimate concern; it definitely is. But I guess I'd just say if we purely have that angle, and that's the only angle we have, we're maybe leaving out all the anim- other animals who are also affected mm. by it. And I thought that was very sort of a deep green. So I guess. I'll light green critique is that we need to protect the environment just so humans can continue living and and thriving etc which again is an important part of the puzzle but a deeper green uh, critique is that the environment and other animals within the environment have value in themselves as well we're not just protecting them for our own sake but they also um, yeah again have value in their own right so I thought that was yeah moving away from I guess a a European sort of colonial mindset which totally separates um, like humans and, and other animals and the environment I thought that was really interesting perspective bringing them together as well
2: yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have this whole anthropocentric sort of colonial view of our future. And our future, as we know, is tied up with animals' future as well. Mm. You know, if you look at um, the death of the bees, well, the bees are, you know, even just looking in this anthropocentric way, the bees are and our agriculture are sort of intertwined with each other. If the bees die, we are in deep kaka. Mm. Um But in, even then, any of the animals in the wild that are amazingly affected by the climate catastrophe that's coming up They are inherently valuable of their own right Independent of the use that, that we have for them or, mm. or whatever we get from them And that whole deep green thing is That the animals and the planet that we live on Have an inherent value And mm. it doesn't depend on what humans think their value is mm. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly and, and I wanted to also link this to uh, Anyone, I don't know if anyone's following American politics at the moment The democratic debates oh are going along <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a lot I thought I was
2: getting away from <laughs>
1: That on this show, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I just thought it was quite relevant talking about, um, yeah, climate change. So there's been uh, they're having a, a whole bunch of debates in the Democratic like primaries. They're working out who's going to, you know, go against Donald Trump. And there was a an issue proposed that they should have a whole debate on climate change. And the Democratic establishment said, no, we're not going to do that because we don't want a single issue debate. We don't want an issue. Oh. Yeah, we don't want a debate because then what about we talk about you know health? There's all these other important issues and like no. Klein, who are going to play in a moment who's a journalist who writes a lot about climate change was saying it's not a single issue but an issue that all the other issues occur within so like healthcare for example it's like we can't necessarily like healthcare doesn't occur separate to the environment and also the uh, health outcomes can be affected by a poor environment, by climate change, all these kind of things. So, yeah, I thought that was sort of again that indigenous speaker I mentioned before was kind of moving away from that, which I think is really important. But it is the way we kind of yeah we've got the environment over here, and then we've got healthcare and economics and military and all these other things. And I think that is part of the problem. Yep. Yeah, the way we
2: compartmentalize
1: part- that. Um, I also wanted to mention just a, a footy reference considering we did have the grand final re- uh, yes I don't know if you saw this banner but it was quite a good one so it will only appeal to a few people but um, Dustin Martin who won the Norm Smith medal yesterday for any football fans, a Richmond uh, football player, um, he often fends people off and they call that a don't argue and so someone had a banner of him sort of fending someone off with a, like doing a don't argue and had don't argue with science but they had Scott Morrison's face on the guy that was pushing up nice. so there was a football reference which was quite topical um, for today but I wanted to um, yeah we might get straight into a, not not a song but a, a little bit of a clip um, with Greta Thunberg and Naomi Klein and these are a couple of different clips I've merged together but I want to yeah we'll, we'll get Megan's perspective I think from a you know socialist show and anti-capitalist show I think uh, Megan will have a lot, a lot to say on this idea of growth and the problems with growth and how that impacts the environment I will and, have a
2: lot <laughs> to say, you are right <laughs> Yeah,
1: and, and that came up last episode with when Adam and Christian and many of the people speaking at the event um, and again I, I think on the flip side there's probably a perception um, amongst socialists uh, in socialist space or from some socialists that vegans are kind of naive to the problems of growth and capitalism etc which again may be true in some cases but actually quite of the sort of people who had pro-animal placards etc did raise that issue of growth and then sort of structural issues as well so yeah i thought that would be worth expanding on in this show so this uh, problem with growth so this was raised by greta thunberg at the speaking to the world leaders of the united nations recently and it was also um brought up by naomi klein who i mentioned before a journalist on democracy now this is the 17th of september 2019 show and you can look it up at democracynow.org and basically this um what naomi klein has said. about it builds on uh, Trump's re election campaign. So you're still getting politics here on Friend <laughs> of the as well. But um, Trump's re election campaign has raised 460000 from selling plastic straws. And so this Lord. is sort of like a backlash against paper straws. And this sort of a, um, a, this challenge from, I guess, the right and from Trump supporters to this idea that we have limits, like the environment has limits. Um, but I also found what was really interesting about Klein is that she also said that, like, um, even those who might be more liberal or more leftist centric, are often sort of hooked on this idea of growth as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to play, um, yeah, quick. So, a quick clip. This is Greta, Thumb- uh, Greta Thunberg. Greta and Thunberg, also actually. Thunberg, yeah, I know. <laughs> actually, I did have, a, the, yeah. did have a discussion on that, the bad pronunciations of the names. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Naomi Klein.
2: This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope, how dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a
0: mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money. fairy tales of eternal economic growth! How dare you!
3: When an ecological crisis comes along and says, whoa, actually, we filled our oceans with plastic, our skies with heat-trapping gases, and we actually have to live within limits. It's not just hard for the people most invested in these stories it's seen as an existential attack they want to take your pickup truck they want to rebuild your home they want to take away your hamburgers it's how a paper straw can become a threat to an entire way of life the ultimate trigger sculpture it has everything the democrats hate steak plastic straws and light bulbs look It's easy to dismiss all this as the infantile worldview of Trump supporters who just can't wrap their heads around the climate crisis. But the truth is that a lot of liberals are trapped in a pretty similar ideology, one that can imagine anything except limits to growth and consumption, which might be why some of them feel an overwhelming need to publicly express their fealty to cheeseburgers.
0: First of all, I'm from Indiana, and secondly, I love cheeseburgers. Just
3: to be very honest with you, I love cheeseburgers. I am uh, hopeful uh, that we're going to be able to do this in a way, uh, especially when I'm president, that we can continue uh, to have hamburgers and cheese. And in a way, the straw wars offer a portal into that mindset as well. So many environmental responses have just been minor tweaks to an economy based on endless consumption. Take your electric car to the drive-thru for an impossible burger and a coke with a paper straw. Look, of course it's better than the alternative, but it's nowhere close to the depth of change required if we hope to actually pull our planet back from the brink. Restricting plastic straws is great, but we also need a ban on those significantly larger cylindrical sucking things. And electric cars, they're nice if you can afford them, but what we really need is free, zero-emissions, public transit with energy-efficient, non-market housing and health care steps away. But those policies would mean tossing out the market-friendly, centrist religion of the past half-century and massively investing in the public sphere to create millions of good union jobs. In other words, a Green New Deal. Because we are limited by the laws of nature, by what our planet can and cannot take. But when it comes to the laws that we make, the rules governing our economy and our society, there can be no limits to what we're willing to do to save our future. We need new ways of thinking beyond Trumpian temper tantrums or the dangerous incrementalism of the supposedly serious center. Because our house is on fire and straws? aren't going to cut it. It's time to grab a fire hose.
0: From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Center. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade Imark, a 3CR supporter.
1: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR, bringing you animal advocacy on the airwaves. And stay tuned for future shows of Freedom of Species. We are going to cover Blockade, IMARC coming up on the show. So stay tuned for that. And just before the break, we heard um, a clip from we heard, uh, Greta. Um, And we also heard uh, Naomi Klein from Democracy Now You can hear that at democracynow.org That was the 17th of September 2019 episode And yeah, I really uh, enjoyed that And thought Naomi Klein had a lot of really interesting things To say, which I think yeah, leads us nicely into growth. I think also even from an animal point of view is interesting that really clinging on to this idea of eating cheeseburgers and stuff like that was kind of interesting as well. But yeah, I, mean, I guess a very general question. But yeah, maybe do you have any thoughts on this idea of how capitalism and the desire for endless growth, um, yeah, I guess plays a part in the harm that, that you know, non-human animals and the environment face?
2: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on mm-hmm. it. So, um, so the basic premise of capitalism is infinite growth, right? And so the banks will tell you, well, look, it's only small amounts of growth, you know, maybe 3% per year, et cetera. But that is literally infinite growth. And if you have a think about it, um, you know, dear listener, have a think about infinite growth on a finite planet. How do we do that? How is that even possible? That is a particular type of delusion that the majority of the planet still adheres to in this day and age. But when we think about it, infinite growth on a finite planet, how is that even possible? I mean, we have a look at people like um, Elon, Musk, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Even they, as capitalists, have admitted that infinite growth on a finite planet is not possible. And therefore, what we should do is take this particular structure that we've got, this capitalist structure... And go to Mars and mm. do the same thing mm. because we can still do this infinite growth if we just keep on doing this exploitative, um, have this exploitative system and just move from one planet to the next, from un- one mm. asteroid to the next. We can keep going with this destructive infinite growth if we just keep moving out into the universe. Mm. Um, and so, you know, even if we don't, so say if we just stay on the you know, the planet that we have, um, this... Infinite growth is basically the entire um philosophy. it's the it's a base philosophy of capitalism. Um and capitalism, um you know, as many people would understand, is inherently exploitative. And we can't sit there and think that the very system that we have seen, Destroy our planet, destroy animal habitat, um, destroy humans, and you know indigenous people trying to fight for their land, etc. We can't then sit there and think that this same um, system is going to be our solution. It's basically like saying, you know, like putting Dracula in charge of the blood bank and saying, mm. well, everything will be fine. Dracula will self-regulate. Mm. It's not going to happen. It's mm. the very, it's it's exactly what it does. You know, a spider bites, a scorpion stings, the capitalist exploit. It's, mm. it's It's in their very nature. And so we have to look at systemic change in order to Enact the significant and the massive changes that we need to address the climate catastrophe that's coming up. That is going to decimate the human population. That is going to decimate the wild animal population. Um, you know, it it is it it's an all in um, climate catastrophe. No one is going to be immune to this except for the billionaires in their bunkers on islands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are all going to suffer from this. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah, I think it's the what's the slow where We're going to, what is it, save save the planet and ditch capitalism or ditch, yeah. what is it, ditch, ditch the planet, save capitalism. Yeah, yeah. One of the,
2: <laughs> something yeah, like that, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I just wanted to bring up a few... Um, yeah, just a report from the IPCC. IPCC, Special Report on Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees Celsius. This is from October 8, 2018. So last year, uh, the, the IPCC is the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a UN body for assessing the science related to climate change. And yeah, this report, which again came out last year, they said the world's leading climate scientists have warned there is only a dozen years, so now 11 years, for global warming to be kept to a maximum of 1.5 Degrees Celsius, beyond which even half... Half a degree will significantly worsen the risks of drought, floods, extreme heat, and poverty for hundreds of millions of people. Uh, that is from theguardian.com. And I also wanted to mention another point from that report. This is from um, a summary for policymakers of the IPC Special Report on Global Warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius, approved by governments. And they mentioned in this sort of summary of that report, which invited IPC.ch, limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius would require rapid, far reaching, and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society, including transitions in land, energy, industry, buildings, transport and transport and cities. And, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying there, that, yeah, I definitely think we can tweak the capitalist system here and there, but, again, the science is saying that we need these fundamental changes, and and I think it's uh, doubtful that those more fundamental changes can occur within this system that's hooked on growth.
2: Exactly. And I also just want to point out that the IPCC, the International... um, panel on climate change, um, is a quite a, a conservative organisation. So they mm. base their studies on models. Uh, they don't particularly base it on um, a lot of research that's been done by climate scientists who are actually saying we have less than 11 years now. Mm. Some scientists are actually saying we have 18 months to enact these significant changes. This mm. is the type of um, timeline that we're looking at. Mm. And so, you know, look, we are talking about this, Nick, um, you know, previous to the show about this whole idea so some um, activists say that we need systemic change we need to overthrow this capitalist system, we need to have a new type of government etc new types of social and economic structures, etc and then the other on the other hand that we have um, uh, you know activists that say, that the only real individual and possible change that we can have is individual change. You know, we are not um, – we cannot overthrow the system in the time that we have, so we've got to do it from bottom up and we've got to try to enact individual change to try and fight against this system that is so exploitative. And um, I, mean, I told you a little story um, as well, which I'm going to sort of uh, say on air. I mean, imagine if you were in the engine room of a runaway train that was barreling down the tracks towards a cliff and you are going to go off that cliff – And there were two people in this um, engine room and there were two levers in the engine room, two lever brakes. And one could be said to represent systemic change and one could be said to represent individual change. Now, both could be pulled safely. And in fact, it could be argued that both need to be pulled safely in order to stop this runaway train. Do you stand in the engine room with this other person and argue that one lever or the other is the best method for change and the best method to stop the train? You don't. You pull down those both of those levers as hard and as fast as you possibly can because you do not have time to do that argument you do not have time to have that argument you pull down both levers you enact both types of change and you hope against hope that that's going to stop the train going off that that cliff mm. basically and when I say when I tell people that story it gives the sense of urgency that we have with the upcoming climate catastrophe, it is a catastrophe. We have now changed our language in climate activist circles. We do not call it climate change anymore. We call it a climate crisis or we call it a climate catastrophe because that's what it is and we don't have a lot of time to change it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and as you say, individual solutions are, yeah, definitely an important part of that, um, but we also need Mm. to go beyond them as well. And I guess along the lines, I'd be curious, and we've touched on this a little bit already, but curious to hear, and obviously there's not one perception and there are vegan Within these spaces, etc. But I guess from mm. from your experiences within the um, yeah environmental and, and left wing movements, etc. What what are you? Th- what are some of the perceptions of the? So at, at these march at the Melbourne march and, and most of the marches around the country, there was a vegan mm. contingent or an animal rights contingent within those marches. And yeah, I'm just curious about some of the perceptions from those um, of those.
2: Well, certainly. So in in some socialist circles, and this is not all socialists, but um. Uh, socialists are activists who uh, push and fight for systemic change because we obviously see that, um, and I'm a socialist myself, we obviously see that the system that we have at the moment does not work. It's exploitative, it's destructive in so many ways. Um, So we fight for systemic change and in some circles it is perceived that this individual change uh, that vegans want to enact is in some way quite naive because um, a lot of the you know, the people that we interact with, um, vegans, are they are privileged. They come from a privileged country. Australia is a privileged country. We do have access to a whole bunch of resources. We also live in a big city where we have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. We have access to supermarkets and public transport to get us to these places. And the fresh fruit and veg is relatively inexpensive because it hasn't been shipped too far or it's been shipped in bulk. So it's kept the price down. Um When we look at it from um, a, you know a point of privilege which is what they see us as doing, we are coming from a point of privilege in the that- you know, we're not someone who has um, – who is in dire financial straits. We, we have financial means. Um, we're not someone who lives in a remote um, outback, uh, you know, country town where fruit and vegetables are hard to come by. And in many Indigenous communities, um, they they supplement the the fresh fruit and vegetables, the very expensive fresh fruit and vegetables they get at the supermarkets um, with hunting it by traditional means and those sorts of things. And they bring up the argument of, well – you know, if we are to say that animal, um, you know, that eating animals is inherently bad, what are we saying about the Indigenous populations in, you know, here in Australia and around the world? And I've spoken to several Indigenous Alaskan people. The same sort of thing happens there. Um, you know, what are you saying about them? When you come from your point of privilege, how are you making this judgment for all people? And also your your point of view that individual change is the way to go how do you fight against a system? This ethical consumerism that we 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 put forward as vegans. So you know, if you buy your Impossible Burger, as you said, if you um you know you eat um you don't eat the meat and you don't eat the eggs, you eat the substitutes, etc. That sort of thing is called ethical consumerism, and a lot of people who try to um, advocate for systemic change look down upon that as not a very effective way of of effecting change, basically. Mm. But that point of privilege is quite something that's quite derisive. They, they, in, some, in some sort of movements, um, you know, veganism is seen as this white, privileged, inner-city uh, lifestyle that not everyone can adhere to. Mm. I mean, there are elements of truth to that, but really I think um, there, are, there is this kind of defensiveness about it as well, this mm. undercurrent of trying to justify a way of life from someone who is very passionate about trying to change the system. Um, And yeah, it's, it's something that I come across um, quite a lot, unfortunately, but look, Change is occurring. We, in in the organisation that I work for, Socialist Alliance, um, myself and uh, another um, colleague, Mary Merkinich. Do
1: we got on the show recently? Yes. Excellent. Um, Mm.
2: So we advocated to have, we have information forums all the time, debating Mm. and discussing these sorts of things. We had an animal liberation and capitalism forum. We
1: covered that on the show as well. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Now,
2: look, the interesting thing is that in in the um, audience, um, so sometimes when you have these sorts of things, you're basically preaching to the converted. Mm talking to vegans and vegetarians who are already keen into these issues, we were not talking to a converted audience. Mm. And and again, importantly, we were talking to an audience that was open to the idea. They weren't vegan or vegetarian, but they were open to the idea that maybe these things are actually an important part of, of coming towards a more progressive society. Mm. And we had some great conversations out of it, and it was mm. really, really helpful. We are making inroads into that. And on the other hand... I think that there are a lot of inroads being made into vegan circles about systemic change and the Mm -hmm. fact that the system that we work with is inherently exploitative and we can't just buy our Impossible Burgers and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of cross-pollination as what's happening here. It's great, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm a vegan but I'm also Mm -hmm. a socialist and I'm I'm on Mm -hmm. this show talking Mm -hmm. about this stuff. This is Mm -hmm. really important. These dialogues are extremely important to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I did want to mention going back to the whole, like, growth and stuff. I just going back to a point from your show so Alex Bainbridge who actually I'm from Perth so I know Alex <laughs> I, or Good old it, Alex. It, in yeah. similar circles yeah. anyway but yeah um, he mentioned in the 1992 climate summit uh, they basically said climate change is real and that emissions that this will be the peak of emissions from this point they're going to go downwards and since that mm. point the emissions um, have actually doubled since then so uh, again I think you know, some of the people yeah, you know, I don't know the motivations of all the people there but I think at least some of them probably were well-meaning actually did want emissions to drop but they're also hooked on that idea of growth and I also want to mention just Justin Trudeau as well. Justin Trudeau, oh, yes, who, um, yeah, sort of a, in a way, like a, a bit of a like a darling of the left in a way, or at least he's sort of portrayed in that way. But darling
2: I, of a certain portion of the left, That's yeah, not very really left, yeah, or, to, or li- liberals uh, point anyway, out, yes. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so there's a show Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj and he sort of highlighted some of the more negative aspects of Justin Trudeau. And it was interesting because Justin Trudeau was talking about protecting the environment, respecting Indigenous people, etc. cetera, um, but he's mm. building this big pipeline, which is, you know, the Indigenous people in Canada opposing, et cetera, even though he promised that he wouldn't, and basically... Um, yeah, he was interviewed on this show and basically said, well, we still need economic growth. And yes. so, yeah, and I've got no yeah. idea about Trudeau's motivations, but even if we accept that he genuinely cares about the environment Indigenous people, it's still trumped by the idea of, like, we have to have growth and he hasn't got away from that
2: mindset. And that's We're locked we into consider. this delusion. Yeah, And yeah. it's actually the same thing. Um, so at the moment um, we have a similar situation happening here in Victoria with the Dan Andrews uh, Labor government. Mm. So, you know, we're building this massive um, freeway uh, mm. uh, to shave off a couple of minutes of... Mm commute time etc there are several ways that we can do it etc but at the moment what we're doing or what the dan andrews government is doing is plowing it through an area that has a whole bunch of sacred trees the jabberwong trees the birthing trees and um the victorian government says that they want treaty and yet at the same time it's similar to um you know in canada Mm. they're destroying um Eight, sometimes up to 800-year-old trees that have absolutely sacred to the jaborong people. And so, you know, on one hand, well, they're saying, well, you know, progress, it's progress. We have to have this. We have to have growth. We have to, you know, um, build the freeway because this is progress. This is growth. It's And it's a particular type of delusion that we still have. And, again, the Dan Andrews government is seen as this kind of liberal bastion of, mm. you know, kind of it's, it's quite a left-wing government, you know, they're doing so much for public transport, et cetera. But they're still locked into that growth thing, that mm. growth delusion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely something need to consider. And yeah, getting back to the vegan contingents at these movements. So yes. one one of the banners I saw was, "How can we expect change from others when we when we refuse to change ourselves?" So that was one of the banners at mm. the um, at, from the vegan contingents. And I was actually, again, I'm someone who's been involved in these vegan contingents in the marches, but I've also spoken mm. at conferences, kind of critiquing them and talking about how how we can do better. Not stop advocating that animal mm. agriculture is an important issue because i think it definitely is uh, but how we can do that maybe better connects with um with, with these movements and again i'm not sure exactly how that was received but i just saw some parallels between that kind of messaging in, like you say you care about this um but you're not doing the right things on the individual level and some critiques from more right-wing climate denying kind of aspects so just one thing i saw on twitter was malcolm roberts who's a politician from one nation and basically he shared um basically all the people using single-use plastic water bottles at, at the march so it was like you're saying you're you know adani's bad but just stop using plastic water bottles like who knows maybe people are reusing their plastic bottles but either way it's like it's a ridiculous argument like it's mm. got you someone whether someone has a plastic water bottle or not like adani is a destructive mine, it should be opposed etc um it's and, again one of those false
2: dichotomies exactly. that i talked about yeah
1: exactly yeah. and so many yeah alan jones said stop charging your phones and ipads um amanda vanstone said we can just um stop using cars and use public transport and stop using the air conditioning all all good things but again it's sort of it's like let's not talk about the system let's not talk about government let's not talk about economics stop doing your individual individual thing and not at all to portray the vegans as the same as those people the vegans actually uh, accept climate change Mm -hmm. and and are trying to oppose it but yeah I'm just wondering based on that uh, I guess do you have any thoughts on how vegan advocates and, and animal advocates within these spaces can incorporate some of these bigger sort of structural issues into their messaging
2: Yes. Um, so firstly, I want to say that you can be both a part of the vegan contingent and mm. also critique the vegan contingent. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I don't think that there's any um, uh, any inherent hypocrisy in that. So again, it comes back to this whole false dichotomy that we have. We say, you know, these activists from each different school of thought argue that their way of doing it is the only way of doing it. So systemic change versus individual change when we really have to have both. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I over, you know, a quarter of a century of vegan activism have um, basically uh, decided that there is So when, when you talk to someone about a, a particular subject that maybe would get their hackles up, that they may not be particularly agreeing to or they might get quite defensive about, it might be anything, there's what I call a psychological wall that goes up. Mm. So basically this big sort of psychological wall goes up and it doesn't matter what you say and it doesn't matter what you do, they're going to look at you like you are in the wrong or you're trying to berate them. So what I try to do in my activism, and I have, you know, for, for many, many decades, is come from a positive human point of view. And I think that it's a really good idea to get people thinking about how much meat they eat and what they do. Because eating less meat, becoming or going onto a plant-based diet will just sort of set the ethics aside um, – is a significant way that you can, you can address climate change on a personal level. I mm. think it's absolutely important. We have to, and I think that these vegan signs at these kinds of um, rallies are important, nay, mm. essential. Mm. Um, perhaps the content of what they have um, could be worded in another way to get people to think, I actually think that we need to have more signs that say, you know, we need to eat less meat to save the planet. Talk to me about this. Come and talk to me about this. I actually wanted to – unfortunately, I didn't because I was doing other things. I wanted to print hundreds and hundreds of vegetarian restaurant lists mm. because I found that that is one of the most fantastic ways to, A, introduce people in a positive way, but, B, get to them talking about it. What is this? Oh, my God, I didn't know we had 230 completely vegetarian restaurant lists here in Melbourne. Why are you doing this? What is the reason, etc. I think that this generation of climate activists, the high school students that are around now, are some of the most receptive people that we have ever come across to lifestyle changes, switching over to veganism, than we have ever encountered, ever. Mm. And Mm. I think that we need to change our activism to try and actively engage that, rather than say, you should do this, you know, Mm. smack hands, say, come and talk to us because this is a massive way that you can make an individual change towards saving our planet and there are so many other ethical ramifications. Come and talk to us. We will tell you about this. These people were telling me anyway on on a completely unrelated stall. They are ready. They are receptive. And if we get them and make that human connection – We have a powerful tool for individual and ethical change, more powerful than we've ever seen, ever. I'm talking Mm. decades of activism. Mm. This is a changing point. So we do need to word our activisms and our signs, not to berate but Mm. to include. We need to call in rather than call out, as Mm. the saying goes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of those signs were something that I would disagree with with the way of wording however they created discussion didn't they Mm -hmm. they created arguments they created discussion who knows how many seeds were planted when people talked about that controversial sign as Mm. well Mm -hmm. so really is there any one way of doing it maybe Mm. there's not in fact I would argue that there isn't there's so Mm. many ways to do the activism that we need to do
1: yeah, 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 and I think I'm, um, yeah, I, I guess like there's two different issues there in terms of like, yeah, meat reduction, those kind of things. And I mm. am always glad when I see uh, meat reduction campaigns from an environmental perspective, just because mm. the issue of animal agriculture is being raised. Exactly. I think also from an like more an animal liberation standpoint, I'm always hesitant to um, advocate that kind of thing from an animal point of view, but I definitely think it makes sense from an environmental point of view. Um, yeah. But, but I guess also, yeah, going back to the IPC, they've recently mentioned this year as well oh, um, yes, A recent yeah. report, shifting to renewable sources of energy won 't be enough to avoid the worst impacts of climate change in itself, and then we need to change the, you know, the way we eat, moving away from animal agriculture, etc due to its high env- environmental impact. so I think it is a really important issue to yeah. raise, um, and again, as you say it 's all about how we go about it and I wanted to just raise some um, yeah, some of my thoughts on maybe how we can sort of fit in with the existing messaging that is around that is very structural focus rather than individual focus so uh, school strike for climate. Their demands are no new coal, oil, and gas projects, including the Adani mine, 100% renewable energy generation and exports by 2030, and fund a just transition and job creation for all fossil fuel workers and communities. So all very structural focus. Mm. Uh, all of us involved in those movements, we may be using fossil fuel, or we all are using fossil Every fuel- Every one of us to, are. To different degrees. Yeah. And obviously, as you said, individually, the less fossil fuel you use the better. That's definitely true. Mm. But, but it's like, we're all a part of that movement. We all agree on those demands. We all agree they're important regardless of we're all using different levels of fossil fuels there. And so I was thinking about the way in which maybe we could bring in animal agriculture and maybe have our messaging something along along similar lines to that, but animal agriculture, which again is a really important part of the puzzle as well. So here are my sort of yeah, revised demands just in addition to the ones that exist. So no new animal agriculture, a hundred percent plant based agriculture by twenty thirty, and funded just transition and job creation for all animal agriculture workers and Communities, so it's again mm-hmm. it's sort of treating it in the same way and again everyone within those contingents are you know maybe consuming different levels of animal products the less you consume the better obviously same mm-hmm. with fossil fuels um, but either way maybe we could all agree on those demands more than that purely individually focused messaging
2: I, that's actually, that is really smart. That's a mm. structural change mm. that involves, um, the, you know, the the whole ethical consumption thing. That mm. uh, That's actually, I'm quite impressed, Nick. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and also, so as someone who is extremely uh, passionate about workers' rights, mm. um, farmers are workers. And, mm. um, you know, I, I do see a lot of negativity towards animal farmers in the vegan community, mm. some of which is justifiable. I mean, there's mm. animosity on both sides. But... Uh, you know th- we, we all live in this matrix of situation and possibility and opportunity and every different person lives within the matrix of their limits yep. and these farmers are often you know the farms have been handed down from generation to generation this is all they know mm. uh, this is the culture that they live in uh and they're also doing it hard i mean farmers have one of the highest rates of suicide mm. of, of pretty much any industry um they are exploited by our you know again our corporations the capital system um you know the average dairy farmer so dairy farmers came out and Said this, I can't believe I'm talking about dairy farm farming on a, mm-hmm. an animal advocacy thing, but you, you get yeah. the point. So dairy farmers have come out and said, if you are not paying at least $1. fifty for your litre of milk in the supermarket, we are being ripped off. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is a system that's exploitating, exploiting the exploiters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But remember, the system is such that these exploiters come from generations of exploiters and they have they're stuck in this. What do they do? All of their money is sunk into the land, the equipment, etc. We have an ethical duty to enact a just transition, to bring these farmers away from these exploitative animal industries, and help them transition. Just like with coal, mm. we need to help them transition into a more sustainable industry. If they want to stay farmers, that's fine. We get we know we help them to to you know uh, go into cropping or, or whatever. But we have an ethical. Um, a moral responsibility to help them. Mm. We can't abandon them, just like mm. we can't abandon the coal workers or, or the gas seam workers, etc. Mm. A just transition is absolutely. It is part of a compassionate philosophy, which what is what veganism should be all about
1: yeah that's right mm. and there were you know coal workers like speed or fossil fuel workers at least speaking the climate strike right. unions yes. on board and i think that's yes. really important and actually um one of the freedom of species host adam has spoken at conferences before this idea we need to work on that transition yeah. like transition for these workers and it's not something we focus on as a movement mm. enough and that's not to say every single advocate has to do everything so again so no. definitely yep. individuals can do vegan outreach etc but i think we need to do more of that in the movement more of mm. um that sort of structural analysis and looking at shifting industries not just individuals etc and again i think we can look to the climate movement what they're doing fossil fuel workers etc um in in that regard um we'd better go to another song though so we're going to go to a song um high extinction by the decline talking about the end of the world which i think is very relevant talking about uh, climate change uh this is from the album flash gordon ramsay street
4: i just called to say
0: Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA, but those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads, and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions And look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117.
2: A 3CR supporter.
0: This is David Rovix and you are tuned to
4: 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do. And everything can change.
1: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR, talking about animal advocacy in general. And on the show today, we've been talking with Megan Street from Green Left Radio here on 3CR, uh, talking all about environmental vegan activism and addressing the climate uh, change issue in general, the climate catastrophe. Um, And also, I guess, how we can link uh, animals and animal advocacy better with environmental and left movements. And I guess, in a way, on that topic, at least for me, I'm going to be talking about all this kind of stuff at the Animal Activist Forum. to speaking on those issues of I guess trying to move the animal movement beyond just talking about individual change and bringing these structural issues the kind of stuff we have been talking about today and looking at industries and governments and economics and all these things um, lots of other speakers who have been on the show before including Betty Mellon Andy Medic Greg McFarlane Claire Mann probably many others that you've heard on the show before are all going to be speaking there so yeah go along to that if you're interested it's um, Melbourne uh, in Melbourne this year 19th to the 20th of October 2019 and You can find all the information at activistforum.com. So come along to that if you're in Melbourne or if you can get to Melbourne. And I want to hand over to Megan in the last few minutes of the show to, yeah, anything that you wanted to say you didn't get to and also any plugs, uh, yeah, when Green, uh, Green Left Radio is on and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, hand over to you.
2: Yeah, sure. I'd like to point out um, uh, one of those speakers, Greg McFarlane, is mm. also a socialist vegan like myself. Um, I'm in touch with him and I'll be um, seeing him when he comes down. Yes. And other people that you've had on this show, Mary Merkinich, also yep. a socialist vegan. We're actually a, a an increasing bunch of people who mm. are seeing both sides. And- Um, What I want to do when I have a sliver of time is actually develop a vegan socialist manifesto, basically trying to link the two together and to link this systemic versus individual change, to Mm. stop this false dichotomy, to address the situation and show that you can do both. I wanted to point out also that um, Greta Thunberg, um, who advocates for systemic change, as I mentioned before, not a lot of people realise she's actually a vegan. Mm. So she's one of those people pulling down both levers as hard as she can because she knows that we need to do everything with regards to the upcoming climate catastrophe. Um, and just a little plug for my show. Thank you very much. Hmm. Um, so I'm a one of the um, presenters on Green Left Radio. So we talk about um, uh, basically um, activist politics in Australia and around the world. All of the issues that kind of come up in activism, human rights, um, you know, workers' rights, environment, etc. Um, we're on air uh, on Fridays uh, from seven to eight thirty. So we basically introduce uh, the breakfast contingent and uh, yeah it's a great show we talk about a whole bunch of things Um, and I have introduced a bit of a a sort of an uh, um, animal advocacy element into it and again it's all about that cross-pollination so we need to have people that are kind of getting this whole idea that so many levels are needed and to talk to people and interact with them about these different levels and these different sort of areas and so you know don't be hesitant to talk to people who, who have completely different views to you we can't live in our little vegan bubbles. We can't live without you know, animal advocacy um, peeps and we only talk to them. We can't live with our socialist peeps and only talk to them. Mm. We have to go out there into the world and stand as people of principle and talk to anyone who will listen, basically. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I really encourage people to check out our show, Mary McKenich Animal Liberation and Capitalism. That's something we kind of touched on a bit today, amongst many other topics, but we kind of went more into yes. detail on that. So you can find that at freedomofspecies.org and you can also find all our episodes on iTunes as well. If you have any feedback on the show, you can contact us, info at freedomofspecies.org, connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. On Twitter, we're at FOS Radio. Um, And yeah, I also wanted to mention that um, yeah, and dealer is coming up next. So stay tuned for that, dealing with all issues around drug use, drug policy, etc. cetera. I did want to just mention something on their to- topic for their show, actually, just for sticking with the footy reference. So I'll, I'll, ditch them, I'll ditch them after <laughs> like this footy? show. <laughs> I, I kind of like footy, but uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just on the mind at the moment. But just a recent story, sort of drug related, West Coast star, West Coast Eagles football player, Willie Rioli, um, has basically found in the test that it's likely it took marijuana only days before playing a final. And he's been possibly going be suspended for up to four years for this. Oh my god! And that is not an important performance enhancing drug. So no. I, I don't know too much about the drug, <laughs> but it's, from what I know, it's probably quite the opposite. Yes. And not only that, we see at the Brownlow Medal, everyone's consuming alcohol, and that's fine. So there's sort of these hypocritical um, attitudes towards drugs. Like I don't really see why it's a problem that football player using yeah. marijuana. Myself, we sort of have these very weird, um, all over the place, and attitudes. days
2: before performing as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And so it just remind me of in psychedelia they will be having a lot of discussions about uh, roadside drugs. Testing And so, yeah, the idea that someone can have be drank, drank alcohol the day before, for example, but they're no longer impaired, so it's fine. They can have small amounts of it in their system. But when it comes to, like, illegal recreational drugs, even if it's not impairing your driving, it's just mm. in your system from days before or whatever, you've been really heavily punished. It's so yeah.
2: zero-tolerance attitude. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah, I just thought that was kind of relevant. So, yeah, check out for all – yeah, they've spoken a lot about um, roadside drug testing, all that kind of stuff. So, very interesting show. Make sure you um, stay tuned for that listening live if you're listening to us via freedom of or, or itunes then you can um, also look it up at 3cr.org.au Thanks so much for coming in today, Megan. It's, it's been, been great a total time. pleasure. And we'll so have much to fun. have you back on. If you, I would love, love to. that. Yeah. Okay, great. And we're going to finish up with another song about the end of the world. I thought it was kind of relevant to, to uh, today. Um, <laughs> we're this not is... being Debbie Downers, we no, promise. No, no. <laughs> I guess like, that's where we're going, but we need to change it, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, it's No Effects Generation Z. Um, and I do have to put in a note, there is some swearing in, in this song. We'll be back next week
5: i think that our kids will probably see the end of humanity as we know it because this world's about to blow it will they see what they saw in ancient rome the destruction of the home will they see the end of civility because when morality's been blurred procreation seems absurd and human rights and freedom are just words that have lost all their meaning in a world that is bleeding like an animal in slaughter I hope that my daughter Thank you.